This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Just a reminder that Big Mood, Little Mood with Daniel M. Lavery happens twice a week. Slate Plus members get an additional mini episode or Little Big Mood every Friday. Sign up now to listen at slate.com slash mood. Welcome back to Big Mood, Little Mood. I am your host, Danny Lavery, and with me in the studio this week is Daniela Taplin-Lundberg, a film producer and the host of the Hollywood Gold podcast. She is the founder of Stay Gold Features, an independent film finance and production company. Daniela, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Danny. Thanks for having me. This is so fun. I- I'm so, so pleased that you're here. I feel like we have some really fantastic, rich questions to spend a little time with today. Uh, oh, I'm getting so good into this. Them? Do you have like a favorite or a, or a least favorite yet? Well, I mean, this is the first time that any, I mean, outside of my friends and family that like I have been asked to weigh in on like broad reaching personal topics. So I'm so excited to dig in and just like marinate in it and, and workshop it. These are like really, really serious personal issues. But I think the fact that I'm 46 and have been through a lot will will like way heavily into into my um, into my thoughts and suggestions. I think that sounds absolutely fantastic, and I'm very excited to to hear uh, what is the product of those years of experience, and yet also <laughs> remarkable restraint, because it sounds like you've done a very good job of holding back on giving advice unless it's been asked for. So. Well, I try. You know, I'm in this. I'm in a club called YPO. It's like Young Presidents Organizations, and it's like it brings together a lot of like leaders of different companies and like the sort of recommended MO there is to like share your experiences rather than like give over advice. Mm-hmm. And most of the time we break that rule, but I also <laughs> like to just like share, you know, similar things that have happened to me as as a way to, you know, sort of impact people. Well, I think that there are a number of people who are going to be able to benefit from uh, a lot of advice today. So I will go ahead and get us started. Our first letter has a great subject line. It's approved for friend breakup, which Mm. I I just love the idea of submitting it like an insurance claim. Yeah, me too. I love that. A while ago, you answered a question from someone struggling with a friend who was both too bossy and too sensitive. And you mentioned that that particular combination often makes relationships very difficult. I have a similar friend. We're in our 30s. And have been theoretically very close for eight years, although I've spent at least six of those years contemplating a breakup. On the surface, we share politics, values, and interests and have a meaningful history. But that history is fraught with conflict and misunderstandings. Sometimes it seems like she's looking for something to disagree over when we're discussing our shared interests, or to find a way to tell me what I ought to think instead of listening to what I do think. I feel like I can't express myself fully because I risk offending her or getting into an argument, so I say comparatively little. She works in direct service and volunteers often. I've moved between nonprofits and academia. 
She often implies that I'm not doing enough and that my academic pursuits are useless and don't help anyone, but she'll say this broadly about people in my line of work rather than me specifically. She'll criticize people who are too dependent on their partner, and I feel like she means me too because I'm in my first long-term relationship and happily devoting a lot of time to it, although I think I also prioritize my friendships and alone time. I sometimes wonder if she actually likes me. She has a history of trauma and loss and has even lost a number of friends in the past. She usually ascribes these lost friendships to people being unable to handle her trauma and direct communication style, although recently she seemed a little bit more self-aware. In the past few years, we've had a number of fights that ended in a frank discussion of our issues, and overall our dynamic has improved, but every time I think we're in a good place, one of these issues comes up again. I've gotten closer to other friends that I feel I can be myself around, and the difference feels even starker. I know the obvious solution is a friend breakup. I've come close many times. One barrier is that she says she explicitly doesn't want people to end their friendships with her because it's been upsetting when people have tried to do this in the past, especially in the wake of loss. I'm sure if I did, she would find ways to tell me I'm a bad person or doing it for the wrong reasons, and would probably go on to tell everyone else she knows. My own guilt is also a barrier. As I promised myself years ago, I wouldn't leave her, quote-unquote, like the others, when she was going through particularly hard times. I guess I'm writing to ask for a potential roadmap or any insight you can provide. Gosh, what a thoughtful letter. What a thoughtful listener. I felt like that person is just so highly cognizant of all the pros and cons that he or she has already made that decision in a way, but but maybe needs like f- outside feedback, mm-hmm. objective feedback. Um, this this very much reminds me of a time in my life where it's sort of, and I I can't assume how old this person is, but oh, I, th- my, I think they mentioned that they're in their thirties. Okay, okay, yes. So th- th- mid thirties, definitely. Where you know some people are are finding their their mates for life or finding serious relationships and other people aren't. And it's just like this, this period of, of sort of great transition. And I have had many relationships like this in my life where when I was younger and single and had a ton of energy that I was just so willing to sort of bend over backwards mm. for those people who sort of required so much care and attention and and had so much sensitivity and and you would do that you would do that because they were friends for a very long time or there was a time in your life where you just shared so much and you had so much fun together and there was a reason to stay connected but i think as i got older i just sort of felt like if you are spending so much of your energy, mentally, physically, spiritually, trying to figure out a way how to keep someone else happy, then it's probably not an equal relationship. Um, and I I think more and more have just learned to sort of step away from those relationships because I sort of, I you know, I hate to overuse this word, but they, I find them to be sort of toxic, right? I find those those people to be sucking so much energy for me. You know, I, I love the phrase energy vampire, but um, just, you know, every time you come away from that or every second or third time you come away from an interaction, you just feel sort of sucked dry of energy. And so my instinct was just like, gravitate to the people who give you life and energy and and reinforce the the person you want to be and try to step away from those people who 
who suck the life force out of you. Oh, that's my <laughs> that's my initial two cents. But what do you, what are your thoughts, Danny? You know, I I think like you. I, I don't necessarily want to, you know, assume that the letter writer is simply waiting for a yes or no. And if we say yes, they're allowed to. And if we say no, they're not. But, uh, you know, certainly I share your sense that people are entitled to either drift away from a friendship or unilaterally end it if they feel like that's the sort of best option before them. Uh, one thing that really struck me about this letter was that line towards the end, um, one barrier to my taking this step is uh, she says she explicitly doesn't want people to end their friendship with her, which feels mm-hmm. like without being dismissive of of the friend in question and their sort of like difficult emotional history, that's such magical thinking. It's like, oh, I mean, nobody wants that, right? Like it, it's it's like you're trying to call shotgun on the car. Like, oh, by the way, everyone, I don't want you to hurt my feelings. Like nobody wants their feelings to be hurt. Of course. Nobody wants course. to lose friends. Um, right. And and it feels a little telling. I think the letter writer kind of is also buying into that sort of, in some ways, childlike magical thinking, which is not to say that the letter writer is always behaving childishly, just in this one way of, oh, I'd love to end our friendship. But she did technically call dibs on not ending it. And I have I'm to totally. observe the rules of dibs. And it's it's just like, that's fake. That's made up. That's not real. That's right. I, I 100% agree with that sentiment. And and just because you call it out doesn't mean it's not, it can't happen. <laughs> um, right. And so I, I I totally agree with you on that. I think um, this may be uh, a friendship that maybe, you know, maybe there will come a time where they can come back together on, on better terms, but it just feels like the dynamic is very uneven and, and just laborious and, and difficult. Yeah, you know, and I want to, I think, raise a few possibilities for the letter writer in terms of um, possible ways that you might be able to change some of your own reactions to her to see if some kind of a relationship is possible. None of that's mandatory or required or something the letter writer has to go through to earn a real breakup. I just want to mention them as possibilities. Um, But I also want to say to the letter writer, absolutely, if for six years you've been thinking about not being friends with her, you've tried having fights with her, they don't seem to improve the dynamic, and and you've just been, you know, uh, emotionally had a foot out the door for the last six years, by all means, you are allowed to end this friendship. And you should simply prepare yourself for the fact that she's not going to thank you for doing it. She's not going to see things the same way that you do. And and to let go of this fantasy that you can find a way to end your friendship and convince her to see things from your point of view. You will not be able to accomplish those things, especially not in tandem. And so sometimes letting go of an impossible fantasy is the first step towards doing the difficult, uncomfortable thing, uh, but that will bring with it greater relief and, and possibility. So with all that being said, you absolutely have that option available to you. I'm just curious, letter writer, you know, you say, I feel like I can't express myself fully because I risk offending her or getting into an argument. So I say comparatively little. But you do, it sounds like, stumble into arguments with her fairly frequently anyways. So I do wonder if one possibility available to you is to bring up a fight yourself. Uh, And I don't mean like kick down her door and say, I've got a bone to pick with you. Here's eight things you do wrong. Um, But it it kind of seems like maybe part of your idea of a good friendship is one where there's no arguing. And maybe some of her idea of a good friendship is one where there's lots of arguing. And that's not Uh to say that she's all wrong or you're all right. Just that the arguing's happening already. Possibly it would benefit you quite a lot to say something to her like, 
I don't know if when you criticize people in my line of work or people who are in relationships, if you are trying to indirectly say something to me, if I'm reading too much into it and being kind of paranoid, taking too much personally, I'm really not sure. But I've noticed that you do this not infrequently, and I just want to let you know that it bothers me. And so I'd love it if you would reconsider it. And of course, if she blows off the, the, you know, if she flies off the handle when you say that, you don't have to then sit around and fight about it for six hours. Um, You can always say, this is going really badly. I'm going to end this conversation now. I'm sorry I brought it up. Danny, it's so interesting that you say that because, you know, I work in the film business where there's a lot of like very creative, passionate people, right? And I and I work on the sort of producing side of it, which just means I'm like, I'm the sort of um, adult in the room just trying to make things push forward and oversee the production and hire the cast and crew and close deals and raise the money. And it's sort of like, you know, I'm the, I'm the parent in the room often. And I find with a lot of different personalities, you know, with working on a movie, there's all sorts, all shapes and sizes, all ages, different generations, um, different experiences. And I find a lot of times that I'm interacting with people who very, very easily fly off the handle, fly into a rage, get, you know, yell, scream, Mm -hmm. and then they're done. They're over it. And they move on with their day as if it's just like dotting an I or crossing a T. And and Mm. I'm someone who's so deeply impacted by that kind of thing or used to be where I am so emotionally impacted by the, you know, something they said off the handle. And what I sort of have come to sort of understand over the years is like, you know, that maybe that person on the other side of this argument or this side of the friendship isn't, is just saying what they feel in their heart and isn't intending it to be so impactful on this other friend. You know, there is that sort of approach where you're just two different people. Some people just like say whatever springs to mind and doesn't have the sort of maybe foresight to understand that like, oh, wow, you're dealing with a sensitive person who who really listens and is impacted by everything you have to say. And so, I mean, that's maybe another side of the argument that maybe this other friend doesn't think she's impacting the writer as much as she is, he or she is, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think um, it's just important to note that there's just all sorts of people who diff- deal with their thoughts and emotions differently, you know? Um, and some people are more sensitive than others. And some people just say whatever springs to mind and then they move on and they they don't have as much of an emotional reaction to things. So it's just that you, you prompted me to think of the other side of the argument, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And none of this is to say, again, letter writer, that, uh, you know, there's got to be equal amounts of faults on both sides. I just think right. if it's possible, there's an opportunity here to separate out some of her more serious kind of like defects or bad habits from other things that might crop up in future friendships with other people. Um, And so you want to improve on your own end a little bit, because I think some of the stuff you describe here sounds really unpleasant and really difficult to deal with. And some of it feels a little bit more like, gosh, I, I wonder if part of why this bothers you so much is because you're not saying anything. So, you know, the the stuff about She'll criticize people who are too dependent on their partner, and I feel like she means me too. I I think that's probably, in the long run, it will probably serve you well to find low-conflict ways to, if somebody says something that you think could potentially be directed at you, to, again, you know, not to freak out, not to say, you must mean me, obviously, let's fight, but, but to just say, 
let me know if I'm wrong, but I I feel a little implicated in this statement. Um, what's your definition of too dependent? Or or even to sort of like blandly and neutrally say, oh, you know, I kind of disagree. Uh, I, I'm in a new relationship now and I'm really enjoying myself and I find that I'm able to balance my time really well and I really like it. And sometimes I think if you're dealing with someone who kind of loves conflict, it can feel difficult to imagine disagreeing. But I think there's an art to sometimes blandly disagreeing in a way that's not like, you're wrong, I'm right, let's stake out our respective claims and fight it out. That's more just like, oh, I'm not so sure about that. But that, but that doesn't get followed up with a lot of back and forth. Right. You know, I circle back to sort of my initial feeling. It's like you got to take a litmus test for people in your life, right? And you have to sort of like do the pros outweigh the cons. And it feels like the writer is weighing that right now very seriously and has been for several years. And so... I just ultimately feel like, you know, everyone has to make these decisions in their own life about like what what is truly worth the effort. Um, and it seems like she's really, really seriously weighing that right now. So I hope I hope like we're able to help her. Yeah. And so I think maybe the most helpful thing I can recommend to this letter writer is envision yourself having some version of a conversation like what we've just suggested here with your friend where you say, this has bothered me for a really long time. It really hurts me. I don't like fighting about these things. I don't want to continue fighting about these things. My idea of a good friendship would be one where we didn't fight very often. Not never, but um, 90% less than we do. And if you said that to her and she had the best possible reaction and you got to that, maybe not 90%, but a 50%, 60% reduction, would you want to be in that friendship or would you feel like, nope, I mean, I'm glad for her in the sense that I'm, I'm pleased that she's made progress here, but I still would want to go? Then that to me, I think will kind of answer the question of whether or not you want to try that first. And if the answer is just no, I would still just feel like I don't, I don't want to be your friend, then you don't need to do that. But then there's the question of how do I end this friendship without her permission? Because this is one of those things where like any breakup, it's not you come and find a consensus, a majority vote carries the day. If you want to end something, you do it against the other person's wishes. That's right. It's not going to be pretty. And that's part of it. Yeah. And so then the question is, how do I do it? And how do I do it in a way that I feel proud of? Not necessarily like, wow, I did an amazing job, A plus across the board, but where you don't feel like a secret sinking shame in your stomach thinking, God, I really just ghosted her. Right. I think that's such a good point, like, it, you know, ending any relationship. And, and and I think like in this day and age, it's so easy just to ghost someone, right? Like that. And, you know, when I was growing up, it was much harder. But I think that's a really good point. And just, you know, how do you break off something in a way that you feel not pride, but like you you feel like you handled it like a mature person would and that you can look back on the experience and feel like, all right, I did that. I ended that friendship and took as much care as I did with how much care I took with the six years I was in the friendship. <laughs> and um, I think it's really hard. You have to be really brave to end um, relationships in a way that you can feel proud of. I don't think many of us feel that proud of of <laughs> of the way we end relationships, or at least I I haven't. You know, there's you know, I mean, to be honest, a lot of the time I just you know, I would drift away or just not not call as much or, you know, and things kind of like take their own course. But And it depends you know, on the friendship, right? I think there's certainly instances yeah, yeah. where people mutually drift apart and they both understand 
at least to a similar degree what's going on and why. And it's not, I'm so sick to death of you. It's just you're both kind of ready to be more, uh, you know, still warm, but more acquaintances. And that is fine. So I don't want to suggest that anytime you want to either end a friendship or uh, move somebody from one category of intimacy into another, that you have to have like a sit down breakup conversation because that would be, I think, too much. But this level of regular conflict already on the table, uh, eight years that they've known one another, multiple conversations about other friends ending a friendship, um, I do think probably uh, even even just a brief conversation is called for. And again, you know, letter writer, if the idea of having any kind of conversation just sounds like so daunting you can't do it, uh, or like, man, if she tried to argue with me, I would just feel like I had no other option but to sit there and get yelled at for four hours and I would not believe myself capable of walking away. I, I guess at that point, I would say that your your best worst option is a brief note, which is not ideal. And I hope that that's not what you have to resort to. But if 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 there's if that's your best option, do the brief note of just, um, I really don't like the fighting that happens in our friendship. It makes me really unhappy. I'm not happy with how our friendship is going. I wish you the best, but I don't want to be friends anymore. And again, you don't have to word it beautifully. She's not going to like it. Um, but you just have to give her the information of, I'm not happy in our friendship. I don't want to work on it. I want to stop being friends. Be well. I like that, Danny. Because sometimes people will try to lard it, you know, with a lot of, uh, you're great, or I want great things for you, or, you know, something to distract from just the painful information. But if you do have to take it to a message, you just want to give her the information and get out. Yeah, I like that a lot. But it's always, oh, man. I mean, I think part of evolving and as a person is just being comfortable with the idea that someone may be mad at you mm -hmm. or, or not happy with you or disagree with how you've approached things and you just have to like kind of move on <laughs> and learn how to live your own life. Yeah, because, you know, letter writer, you say, I'm sure if I did, she would find ways to tell me I'm a bad person or doing this for the wrong reasons and probably tell everyone else that she knows. That's true. That's going to happen. 100% that will happen. So I don't mean to so cheerfully be the bearer of bad news, but like, you know, that's going to happen because you know that that's going to happen. So at least that frees you from thinking, man, there's some way I can like, it, you remember the cover for the movie Entrapment, that 1998 Sean Connery, mm -hmm. Catherine Zeta-Jones movie where they're like in totally. cat suits, like trying to dodge around all the lasers. I feel like this letter yes. writer has this fantasy at the back of their mind. Like if I'm just careful enough and patient enough and bend around the right directions, I can get out of this friendship without her noticing or getting mad. That's never going to happen. Right. Right. It's just not, it's not, it's not realistic. But I love that reference to Entrapment. I remember that movie very well. It's a memorable cover and a memorable scene, I think. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, let, take, take, a, take at least one lesson from, from that classic film. From Sean and Catherine, yeah. Yeah, and again, even if you then just want to have a five-minute conversation with her, you can just tell her the basics of what we've just told you. And then if she tries to argue, you can just say, I get that you don't like this and we're not going to agree. I'm not here to fight about it. I just wanted you to know so that things were clear between us, um, because you do deserve clarity. But this is not a conversation. I'm not interested in looking for a compromise. I am done. Goodbye. And that might feel awful, painful, harsh, but it's, you know, certainly better than six hours of arguing and then eventually to get her off your back saying, okay, let's try again, while secretly in your heart thinking, I hate her even more now. 
Yeah. No, you have to be clear. I think that's right. It's hard. You know, I I remember the last time that I had a conversation like this, which luckily hasn't happened often, but, you know, it was painful. It was unpleasant. I also survived. The clarity was helpful. And it was a lot easier than ongoing avoidance or pretending I'd missed a call or not having that conversation. It was better to get it out of the way. Totally. No, I always, I always can tell when I'm trying to avoid people, like it's not even that conscious. It's just that like, I'll get a couple missed calls over a few weeks and just forget to call back or whatever. And, and whenever I have the presence of mind, I will have a conversation with myself and just say, you have to deal with whatever it is is making you avoid this, you know, because it's just more for your own peace of mind. So I totally agree with you. And there's plenty of friendships where I would want to encourage letter writers to, you know, show up and participate and like work through something difficult. But man, six out of eight years wanting to not be friends. Uh, I don't think you like her. I don't think you want to be her friend. And that's perfectly understandable. And so if her answer to that is, but a lot of people leave me, the answer to that is just, I'm sorry to hear that. The question is, do I want to be friends with you, not do a lot of people leave you? And again, that might feel mm-hmm. harsh, but those are two really different conversations. Yes. And um, I think you know that on some level. So letter writer, I hope that that's useful. I hope that you can maybe then in your other friendships, find ways to bring up your own ability to tackle not even conflict, but like slightly difficult or potential disagreements a little bit more because that will serve you well. Like, I don't think the problem here is just that your friend was bossy and sensitive. I think some of it has also had to do with your avoidance and decision to take on her pain as your responsibility, which she didn't force you to do. Something about you chose, like, I, I think there's a lot of people who would hear somebody say, all my friends leave me and and think, I don't want to get to know you better. That's a weird thing to say to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, why are you trying to make me feel guilty or responsible for your loneliness? And you, at least at some point, six to eight years ago, said, I'm going to get closer to this person. I'm going to fix that. And, you know, take a look at that. Yeah, great point. I've, I've, I've certainly been, uh, had to occasionally ask myself, am I climbing up on the cross? And if so, why don't I climb down? Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours, like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. 
Tim Horton's new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. I think that's all I've got on that letter. So if you're ready to, to move on to the second one. Let's do it. I love that. That felt very thorough. Yeah. Yeah. This one I think is a little bit easier and more straightforward. But again, it's very much in that same vein of, I want to be less close with somebody, but they're not going to agree with me. Am I allowed right. to do it anyways? Yes. And, yes. you know, if nothing else, I think it's just useful to remind ourselves, if you want to be less close with somebody or break up with somebody, Almost always, they're not going to feel the same way because otherwise you would have already mutually agreed to uh, downgrade your intimacy or break up together. So it's, it's a feature of breaking up, not a bug, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So the subject line is, must we show up? My husband and I listened with interest to the letter on the podcast from January 17th from that couple who didn't want to spend holidays with their in-laws. We have a similar situation with my husband's mother and sister, but a few key differences. My mother-in-law ignores us completely 360 days out of the year. She doesn't return calls and shows no interests in our attempts to get together. But on major holidays, she expects us to show up so she can ignore us in person. I'm not exaggerating. She'll greet us, then often won't speak to us again at all. The only topic on these occasions is her grandchildren, whose lives are discussed exhaustively with my husband's sister while we sit in silence. This has progressed over the years from being mildly annoying to blatantly rude. Last Christmas, my mother and sister-in-law made plans for my husband's grandmother's birthday in front of us in an easy-to-overhear stage whisper. We were never invited, which really hurt my husband, who's only recently realized how often they get together without him. My husband is completely willing to reduce the number of holidays we spend with his mom, but how can we do that when we only live 10 minutes away? For some reason, it's extremely important to her that everyone be there. And if we say we aren't available on Easter, she'll just want to get together on the Saturday before, the following Sunday, or a weekday evening. How do we tell her we won't be celebrating Easter with her at all? Or that she can choose Thanksgiving or Christmas, but we won't be there for both, when we don't have travel time or expense as an excuse? My husband's parents are divorced, and his father has been a constant close presence in my husband's life. We're not looking to cut back on time with him. But we're worried about refusing Thanksgiving with her and then showing up for dinner with him. They've been divorced for decades, so they're hardly scrapping for equal time. But my sister-in-law tells my mother-in-law everything, so there will be consequences. What can we do? My husband doesn't want a huge fight. His mom wasn't always like this, so he holds out hope that she might someday come around. I don't see a way out without telling at least some of the truth, but what can we possibly say? Whatever happens, we just can't bear too many more of these awful holidays. I, I think I definitely had a slightly different reaction to this one than I did the first letter. I think I felt a little bit more patience for the first letter and a little more, um, let's go with like cheerful incredulity for this one. So funny, Danny. I, you know, family is always a little bit of a blind spot for me because I come from a pretty, I wouldn't say dysfunctional, but I have my parents divorced when I was before I was walking and they remarried different people and then they divorced those people when I was in high school. And so I have like one of those sort of epic family trees um, and I have multiple half siblings and step siblings and it's always sort of complicated. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm really curious about your maybe clearer reaction because my whole life has been patience and um, inclusiveness and trying to smooth things over. 
and getting to a place in my life where I feel very happy with the family that I've built. And so I feel less onus to sort of do backflips to show up across the country for different sort of family units. Um, But I'm also really, really curious about the mother's side of the story. I just find it like so odd that this man's mother would have no interest in his life or his wife's life, um, but then insist on them coming. So will you sort of give me your sense of this? Like I, I, it is, it was actually oddly more um, complicated for me than, than the first writer. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, luckily I don't speak to anyone I'm related to. So I feel like I I can just be sort of chipper uh, on (laughs) this front. Um, But uh, yeah, I mean, I read this and I was just like, I was thinking of that old quote, are you a man or a mouse? Like there will be consequences. What can she fire you? She going to kill you? She going to take your house? Like in the first letter, there was at least, you know, it was clear that the letter writer had been holding a fair amount back, but there was also at least a history of conflict. There had been attempts uh, that the letter writer had made repeatedly to, you know, say something difficult but honest or to disagree or to be present as anything other than just a sort of nodding echo. But this one is just like, I imagine it does sound like the the letter writer's mother and sister-in-law are fairly rude, but my God, you've never said anything to them and neither has your husband. None of you have ever brought this up. You say my husband wants to avoid a huge fight. You haven't even had a little fight about this. And Jesus Christ, I think after, you know, years and years of feeling totally ignored uh, and looked over at every major holiday, why doesn't your husband want a little fight? Like, again, I don't think of, I don't think a huge, horrible fight is inevitable here. It's just like, I, I, I feel a little bit like, you know, somebody came and they asked if they could take my car and then they asked if they could take my shoes and my keys and my home. And I just said, sure. And now I don't have any of those things and I'm really bummed out. It's like, well, did you try saying no? Did you try saying, I don't like this? So I just feel really curious why the letter writer and her husband have never tried, God, I don't know, saying, uh, it's been a while since we saw you. It's great to hear how well the kids are doing, but I'd love to hear a little bit about you guys. We've been working on this lately. Like, why didn't you try that? Yeah. You know, it's so funny. I think it's often, and I'm not, I'm not suggesting that the letter writer and her husband do this, but I find in life that sometimes it is easier to complain about the thing that you're dissatisfied rather than to like spring into some form of action on it because it just, it becomes sort of like a, just the thing you talk about, you know, after these these family get-togethers. And I think you're right. Like the first step is like, the husband should go and speak to his mother, like take her out to lunch and just be like, we're really hurt. We've been hurt for years. You you seem to have no interest in in my life or what we're doing at all. And just sort of try to get to the heart of what what is going on? What is her perspective? Is she intimidated by them? Like, what could it possibly be? It just feels like you're you're hitting on like the very first step. <laughs> Especially when the letter writer says his mom wasn't always like this. So he holds out some hope that she might come around someday. Like, I, I don't want to say that nothing, like... Obviously, it's not kind to uh, never ask a guest a question, especially when that guest is your son and his wife. Um, so I don't want to make this so much the letter writer's responsibility that I remove all wrongdoing from the part of the mother and sister-in-law. But man, you haven't even tried. And 
for, for all that I often, I, I think, point people in the direction of family conflict, letter writer, your husband really does not have to go into this spoiling for a fight. You know, he can really be vulnerable with his mom and say, mom, I really love you. Um, and I'm really sorry I haven't brought this up sooner. I should have. But I feel like it's been, I don't know, 5, 10, 15 years now. And the routine at the holidays is pretty much we come over, you talk to my sister about her kids, you don't address us again outside of greeting us, and we feel pretty unwelcome. And that makes, again, yeah. like, don't say it in terms of like, and, and that makes you the worst mom on the planet and I want to fight with you. But to truly say, this hurts my feelings. I would like this dynamic to change. I'm open to the possibility that I'm missing something. Maybe you have felt like you've reached out and we missed it. Or maybe you didn't notice you were doing this and you want to change now that I've brought it to your attention. Like leave room for the small but real possibility that this isn't all malicious. And you might, instead of having a huge fight, have like a moving, meaningful conversation where you find out ways to better connect with one another. And I got to say, reading this letter, I'm a little worried like, do you and your husband do this with each other? Do you never tell each other anything that might be difficult or uncomfortable because you're afraid the only way you can disagree with someone you love is through a huge fight that pushes you further apart rather than, you know, occasionally conflict can be like loving, respectful and caring and and lead to, you know, greater happiness and closeness. So yeah. I just, I'm just curious, letter writer, do you and your husband ever fight or mildly disagree? And if the answer is, oh my God, no, we would never. I think this might be a slightly larger problem than just your mother and sister-in-law. Yeah. I also, I, I love the thing you said about vulnerability, Danny. Mm -hmm. I think like that is such a critical part of like getting other the other side of whatever conflict there is to be open and have impact, right? I think that there's a difference of going about these kinds of things with expressing your your own sort of hurt and feelings as opposed to accusing someone else of doing something that has wronged you. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just like, it's a great suggestion in in life that whenever I sort of go about these, these issues, when I choose to approach it from a sort of thoughtful and emotional place, I always get further than when I accuse someone of wronging me. And so I, I, I think that's really, again, really, really great advice. Yeah. And again, letter writer, this doesn't excuse the fact that, you know, most of the year your mother-in-law dodges your guys' calls. This doesn't mean that she must have just been doing everything right and you're doing everything wrong. I just mean, I'd be able to have such a different answer for you if you wrote in with this is your original problem and then said, we've tried a couple of times to bring this up and then X, Y, or Z happened. Because then I would I would be able to to, you know, more clearly point you in a particular direction. But as it stands, I don't know. Maybe some of this is uh, she genuinely only cares about you in terms of your ability to produce grandchildren and doesn't value you as individuals. That would be painful. Maybe part of her genuinely feels like she tried to draw you guys out and you didn't talk much. And then eventually the only conversation that she could reliably fall back on were the kids. Uh, maybe there's something else between her and your husband that's damaged the relationship. I don't know. Um, there's so much I don't know here because you guys haven't tried. So. I would really encourage your husband to say something to his mom that is, again, open-ended, that leaves room for her to respond, that does not say, you know, I'm trying to start a fight with you or I think this is your fault and I want you to accept a lot of blame so much as just, I want you to know how I'm feeling about our relationship. And if he's just like, no, I would rather move to the moon and die, I will never do that. 
then, you know, your other options are just telling her, we have other plans for Easter this year, and we have other plans for Christmas this year, but we'd like to see you on Thanksgiving. Or even just, we're making different plans for the holidays. And then if she says, well, let's get together the week before, you're going to have to put on your, you know, adult clothes and say, we're not available for that. And, you know, again, just like that, like, but we don't have an excuse. It's like, yeah, dog. Uh, you're going to have to be fucking honest and deal with the consequences of the consequences that you've been dealing with so far have been 10, 15 years of miserable holidays. That sounds pretty unpleasant. If you would like a different consequence, you'll have to do something different. And the consequences on the other side might involve her saying, oh, that's disappointing. And then you'll survive. Yeah. Or she might, I don't know, start calling you back and be a little on your case about it, in which case you are still free to say, Sorry to disappoint you, but, you know, we're doing something different for the holidays this year. And that's it. That's all you have to say. You don't have to prove your case. You don't have to get permission. You don't need a a slip sign so you can go on a field trip. You are grown married adults. That's right. You know, you're you're prompting me. I was was curious about more about what the letter writer didn't say more than what she did. You know, I, I was curious if she has any family, like, you know, why is there so much focus on holidays and, and his family? And I was just, I was so, I was just curious about a lot of the the sort of unmentioned things. And do you ever get sidebar, Danny, do you get follow-up letters or like, sort of like, here's what happened after I followed your advice or didn't, or, you know? Yeah. Occasionally I do. Occasionally I do. And usually when that's the case, I try to read the updates uh, as I get them. So, you know, for this letter writer, given that I kind of laid into you, um, (laughs) I I hope that didn't feel too harsh. I also like, I get harsh because I can relate. And, uh, you know, the last ever conversation I had with my father, I went into it with my wife really clear on one thing that I wanted to communicate was that I was angry. I've told this story occasionally before, but as the conversation went on and went on, Grace wrote down the word anger and I was like, yeah, I see it. And then she tapped it later and then she underlined it and then she circled it and I got off the phone and I never used that word. Um, I, I couldn't get there. So I, I get it. I relate. I kept thinking, oh, I got to find a way to say this. Um, right. So you're saying in your in your call with your father, you were never able to express the word anger. That's right. Yeah. Uh, I, I was able to say things like, I'm not so sure about this and this doesn't seem safe and I'm worried. And mm. he was so, you know, uh, disapproving and defensive. And I felt so abashed and um, confused and scared that I just yes. didn't feel like, I didn't know how to say I was angry and really just accept that he would have a bad reaction. I didn't want that. And, you know, I was still able to do the necessary things afterwards, but I I wish that I had. I think it would have done me good. I don't think he would would have reacted well to it, but he wasn't reacting well on that phone call anyways. Um, And I think it would have really done me good to like calmly say it, not in anger, not as a sort of like emotional blow up. But to just say, I'm angry with the choices that you've made, I really wish that I had. So I really relate, letter writer. I, I really get it. This stuff can be hard. But man, I think the, the line I would just want you to really um, rethink is, I don't see a way out without telling at least some of the truth. That is so backwards. Um, do not look for the way of maximal avoidance and minimal honesty through a relationship like a parent-in-law, who is someone you're going to have to deal with at least minimally for for a lot of your life. Um, think about how can we be pretty honest, 
without going and like finishing the story ourselves and saying, and this is why you must have been doing it. And this is the kind of person we think you are. And so there's no room for you to have your own side of the story. We're just telling you what you've done wrong and go sit in shame. Um, but you should, within reason, it should be a good thing to tell a relative or an in-law the truth about how your relationship feels and to ask for their perspective, for them to listen to you and to try to figure out something you can do different. Like this is fixable. This is not in the category of like, you know, I hear from people who have parents-in-laws who just treat them like dirt or refuse to recognize their ability to make their own decisions. This, at least not yet, are you there? This is somebody who you want to ask you more questions and you want to have some more conversations with a few days a year. That's doable. But it's not doable if you stay silent all the time. It's not doable if you lie. Uh, it's not doable if you avoid and if you treat any any potential disagreement as a huge fight. You got to redefine what a huge fight is. Like a huge fight is when my grandmother at a press conference said that I was possessed by the devil. That was a fight. You know, that was Danny, did that really happen? Did that happen? It did happen, yes. Yeah. Um that was a fight. You know, my father lost his job. And I I I feel pretty good about that. That's a fight. Um, but other times we weren't fighting. Like before that, if I would just be annoyed about something and keep it to myself, that's not a fight, that's resentment. So I feel like at this point in my life, I now know the difference. Um I really know the difference when I was fighting with my grandmother versus when I just quietly disagreed with her and didn't say shit. Um, They look different. Right. It's so funny. Like, as you give this advice, I'm like, of course, this is the right course of action. And then I look to my own life and, you know, I I have all sorts of things that I've never said to my father and, you know, actually cannot dream of saying as like a 46-year-old professional woman. And so when I am sort of separated from the personal experience and I'm able to be so logical and like level-headed and then it'll come to your own life and suddenly it falls apart, you know? (laughs) I think that's part of why it can be helpful to ask somebody else who doesn't have those family ties that can feel so stifling because I'm right there with you. Um, I had a lot of missed opportunities earlier in my adult life when I was still talking to my relatives to actually say, you know, maybe it was really painful when I was a teenager and we disagreed and I felt really outnumbered, but I'm not a teenager anymore. I will be okay if we disagree really strenuously and it would probably be better for me if I were to say something clear about what I disagree with or object to. And sometimes I did that and often I did it a little bit and then backed off. That's it. That's all I got. Yeah. I just, you know. You're so good at this. Are you, do you have like a PhD? We don't know. We don't know. Maybe, you know, maybe they took this advice and it ruined their lives. Like I feel right sitting alone in my studio. (laughs) Um, No, I, I graduated without honors from an evangelical Christian college in suburban Los Angeles, which is the opposite of having a PhD. What college? Um, I'm from LA too. Azusa Pacific University, Christ oh, sure. first since 1898. They've always oh got the billboards god. up for their business management department. Oh my god, Danny. What part That's of LA incredible. are you in? I'm not there anymore. I'm on the okay. East Coast now, but um, I grew up in Santa Monica. Oh, sure. So like fun LA uh, near the cool <laughs> Christian University, Pepperdine, uh, which had exactly. a more genteel chapel requirement and beautiful views of the ocean. That view of the ocean was like, 
that was everything. I, I mean, of all the Southern California evangelical universities, Pepperdine's the one. I didn't know it was an evangelical university. Because it's barely, like, it's, it's, it's as, as close as you can get to being a secular college without giving it up and, and just going full secular. They um, do not, like, overly promote that. No, no, it's not like APU. Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, Danny, thank you so much. This was so, so fun. And I really, I'm going to be listening to this podcast all the time now. Ah, oh, shucks. Well, I am going to be listening to yours. And if you ever need a, a guest to to talk about uh, old movies, please, please do consider calling me up. Yeah, you can really, I love your references. I mean, I'm like obsessed with old movies. So I love that the, <laughs> you referenced the Farrah Fawcett, Poor Little Rich Girl. And Entrapment, by the way. I, I love that Entrapment is now like a classic vintage film. Thanks for joining us on Big Mood, Little Mood with me, Danny Lavery. Our producer is Phil Circus, who also composed our theme music. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash mood to sign up to subscribe or hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're using right now. Also, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you get a minute. We'd love to know what you think. If you want more Big Mood, Little Mood, you should join Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. Members get an extra episode of Big Mood, Little Mood every Friday, and you'll get to hear more advice and conversations and interview questions with our guests. And as a Slate Plus member, you'll also be supporting the show. Go to slate.com forward slash mood plus to sign up. If you need some little advice or big advice and you'd like me to read your letter on the show, head to slate.com slash mood to find our Big Mood, Little Mood listener question form or find a link in the description of the platform you're using right now. Thanks for listening. And here's a preview of our Slate Plus episode coming this Friday. To the best of your recollection, did someone ever actually say you don't understand suffering? Because if they mm -hmm. did, that is something that you are absolutely allowed to disagree with, push back against, get into a fight about, ultimately maybe decide you don't want to be friends with someone who doesn't think you're capable of suffering. Um, mm -hmm. Absolutely. You don't have to buy into that at all. No, even if you got to go on two vacations a year as a kid. Or if you're like, all right, that's kind of how I felt at the time, but actually on more careful reflection, they actually said something else. And then kind of reflect on that, as, again, as neutrally as you can, non-defensively. They might be right about some of it. You might be right about some other parts of it. You're just trying your best to, to look at what you said, what they said, and, and what you might say now. To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash mood. Saving money on plant protection supplies. Now at Menards. Defend your garden with Triazicide Insect Killer. Its fast-acting formula protects lawns, vegetables, and many other plants. It kills more than 260 insects by contact, above and below ground. Choose from ready-to-spray, concentrate, or granular. Save big money on Triazicide Insect Killer at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money.